The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Grove. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Stoked that you are here today as we are continuing in our Lights, Camera, Action message series. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to take those out. Um, We're going to be in a couple different places today. The first one is John chapter 16, starting in verse 5, just to kind of get us going. If you've got a tablet or a smartphone and you want to use that Bible app, you can do that as well. And of course, there's uh, Bibles in the bottom of the seats in front of you if you want to use one of those today. Again, that's John chapter 16, starting in verse 5. And as you're turning there, I want to just give a quick recap on where we've been in this message series in case you've missed any of the installments the last few weeks. Of course, would encourage you to go to our website, grove.church. You can click on resources and you can listen to the podcast or watch the vodcast there and get caught up. But just to kind of give us a foundation of where we're, we're jumping into this is we, we, we titled this Lights, Camera, Action on purpose. And, and most of us, when we hear that phrase, Lights, Camera, Action, what do we think of? We think of Hollywood, right? We think of a movie set and a director where he or she says, lights, camera, and action, right? Kind of like saying, and go, right, to, to the actors and the actresses for the scene that they're jumping into. And the reason that we also said lights, camera, action is because it's a study on the book of Acts. See what we did there? You see that? Yeah, we're, we're pretty smooth. Okay, so lights, camera, action. And the reason we did this is because Acts comes directly after the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what happens here is, as we know, as we jump in uh, to the, the book of Acts, it's Jesus has just been crucified. He's paid the price for sin that you and I are deserving of death because of sin. Sin separates us from God. We know that he was buried, and three days later, he rose to life again, overcoming death, hell, and the grave for you and I, right? And then he appears to his disciples, to his followers several times. In the midst of these conversations, he gives them the great commission, which is the mission that he sends them on which is the spurring of the first century church in Acts. It's also the mission that you and I are on. It wasn't just for the disciples, right? It's for you and I even today. And what he's doing is he's having a conversation. We're going to read this here in John 16, in which he's giving his kind of farewell address to them. And this is what he says, picking it up in verse 5. He says this. This is Jesus' words. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me, speaking of the Father. He says, none of you asks me where are you going, Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's referencing the Holy Spirit. And he says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And Jesus is basically saying like a great director does, lights, hey, You've been with me. We've traveled around to all these places. We've done miraculous things. Thousands of people have come. We've had loaves and fishes, right? Camera, man, we've we've raised people from the dead. Disciples, you have done incredible miracles in my name. He says, but now I'm leaving action. Now it's time for you to go and take this thing. And in some Bibles, that book of Acts is actually called the Acts of the Apostles, And this incredible Jesus movement takes place. Incredible miracles and signs come. But the underlying main theme throughout is because the reason those things happen is because the Holy Spirit comes. That counselor, that advocate for us is this idea of the Holy Spirit. And so today we springboard directly off of last week's message that Pastor Aaron gave. And if you're confused, I'm Ryan. He's Aaron. That's Aaron. I'm Ryan. (laughs) 
telling you, man, I go to grocery stores and people confuse us. Oh, that was a great message you had last Sunday. Thank you. I did a great job. Yes, I did. But last week, Pastor Aaron talked about that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, one of his purposes in our lives today is to be our encourager, right? He's to be our encourager. Hey, you can do this. Hey, you've got gifts and talents. You, you can make this happen. Hey, hey, that, that thing that you're looking to do, I know it seems like a leap of faith. I know it seems to go against everything your head knowledge gives you from your experience on earth, and nobody else is doing this, but I'm here to encourage you. You can do this. This is God. This is, this is what you're supposed to do. He's our encourager. Let me ask you a question. I'm, a, I'm an interactive speaker, so I'm going to ask you in just a moment. I'm going to ask you a question, and if it applies to you, I just want you to raise your hand, okay? I'm gonna get, we're going to get the blood going this morning. Preface this, it's not a trick question, okay? If you raise your hand, I'm not here to make you look dumb or look silly, okay? You can raise it in confidence that it's not a trick question, but I just have a question for you. How many of you would say by raising your hand that you would say, man, I like to be encouraged. I like it when somebody says something encouraging to me, right? Okay, everybody's hand goes up. Yeah, we love to be encouraged, we love for somebody to come along and point out the good stuff we got going on, right? We love it from the people we know. Heck, we'll take it from people we've never met before, right? Man, you look good. Man, you, that suit, you got that going. Hey, man, you're a great speaker. Hey, girl, man, you're just so compassionate. We love encouragement. Let me ask another question to you real quick. How many of you would say that you like it, that you enjoy it, when someone points out your faults, points out your weaknesses, or points out when you're doing something wrong? Yeah, not a hand in the place. Right, we, we, don't, we love encouragement, but man, we, we, we don't, we, whoa, no, no, I, I don't want my weaknesses. Right, we'll avoid situations in which we think that we might be exposed for one of our weaknesses or our faults. Like, we'll avoid that at all costs. The question is, why is that? Because while, yes, one of the roles and purposes of the Holy Spirit is to be our encourager, and we need that, Jesus identifies another role and another purpose of the Holy Spirit in that passage we just read, didn't he? What did he say? He said, when he comes, the Holy Spirit says he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is to bring conviction to us, to point out the areas where we're amiss, where we're missing it, where we've got sin in our life. And here's the reality. Just like in the natural world, we don't like people pointing those things out to us. It spills over into our spiritual life either uh, as well. Right, we, 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 at all costs, like this default defense mechanism tries to avoid that issue. And the question is, why is that? Well, I believe that throughout our lives, you and me, we have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of small, medium, and large experiences that get tucked away. We might not even remember the specifics of the event, but over time, these build into us. Our subconscious remi reminds us and, and remembers it, and we try to avoid this place where we don't look like we got it all going on, right, where we've got weaknesses or things we're missing. Let me give you a couple examples real quick, just to make sure we're on the same page. I'm going to take you back for a moment. If you can't imagine with me, you're back in elementary school. Just imagine you're back in whatever classroom it was when you were in third grade. Just, just humor me for a moment. I don't know about you, but my desk was one of the desks where the chair with a bar was tied to the desk, right? Right, it was very uncomfortable, okay? I opened that desk up, and you got your crayons, you got your colored pencils, you got your glue sticks. Some of you had rubber cement, and the signs still show that you had rubber cement. All right, right, but, but here you are in third grade, right? And the teacher's teaching on something. I don't know if this happened for you, but it happened for me. There's the point in the time in, in teaching that teachers would say these four little words, who can tell me, right? who can tell me, and what they're, they're turning it to look for somebody to answer the question, that they're proposing, right? And there's two types of students, right? Two basic types of students. There's the students that as soon as a teacher, they don't even finish the line, who can tell me? Who can? Oh, me, 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 right? And then there's the rest of us where there was a, a quick 
reaction that happened where you slouch in your chair and the eyes go down. Don't make eye contact, right? Right? That was me, right? And, but then we had those teachers that they were never going to call on the people that were, ooh, me, 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 right? They were going to call on us that were slouching in our chairs and trying to not make eye contact. And what happens in this scenario, Ryan, what's the answer? The brain works so fast. We've talked about that in the past. It processes how this is going to pan out in like a million different ways within like a split second. And you're left with two options as an individual when you're called on and you don't know the answer to the question because you didn't do your homework, right? It's either you say, I don't know, which you know is an automatic, you're going to look silly, right? And you're going to be embarrassed or you take a shot. It's not a high percentage chance you're going to get it, but you take a stab at it, right? Try to get the answer right. Now, this is not a big scenario. It's not life-changing, but this small scenario is you offer that answer, you get it wrong, classmates giggle at you, the teacher says no, maybe with attitude, right? Clearly, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You didn't study, you didn't read what you were supposed to read, right? And you, we become embarrassed. One of our weaknesses is out there. It's not huge, but that little experience is filed away, added to the hundreds of other experiences that we have throughout our lifetime that builds up this defense to not want to look like we're weak, to not want to look like we have faults, or that we, right? We put together this facade, even on social media and all those things that we've got it all together. Let me give you another example. Has anybody ever done anything bad in your lifetime? Yeah, I've done a lot of bad things, okay? And I'll just classify bad as just something that you did that you knew we weren't supposed to do, whether you knew it or not. Maybe you broke a rule, right? And little things happen, right? You, basically, it's something that has some kind of a consequence to it, right? And there's two basic categories of these types of things doing something bad. The two basic categories are, one, like, maybe you ever broken a rule or done something, but you just, you didn't even know that the rule existed, right? It wasn't intentional. It was like you did something, but it was, you were naive to it. It wasn't malice. You just, you know, maybe it's new to class and you're not supposed to talk or not supposed to do this, or you got to do this at this point. You don't do it and you kind of get in trouble. When you're young, you know, in third grade, you get your name written on the board, right? You get a check next to your name, right? Or, hey, you got to stay after, right? When they get a little bit more serious, hey, man, you got detention or you got to go to the principal's office, right? But there's these things that we do sometimes, or maybe sometimes we're guilty by association, right? Maybe we didn't do anything wrong, but we were hanging out with these two people we shouldn't have, went to the store, they stole a candy bar, but all three of you are up in the office feeling like your life is over. You peed your pants and you feel like you're going to jail for the rest of your life. It was naive. You didn't know it. You didn't do it, but you still have the repercussion or the consequence that comes from it. So you've got that category, and then you have the other category, and you know where I'm going with this. It's the category of stuff that we know we shouldn't do, the things that we know we aren't supposed to do, but we do it anyway, right? And so we have these things, and what happens again, small, medium, and large, these things have happened hundreds of times throughout our life, and it shocks away this experience that, man, I did something there and I didn't get caught. That was cool, right? But when I got caught, there's a consequence. And so we want to do everything we can to not get caught, to, to look like we've got it all going, to hide the things that we're not supposed to be doing because either we know we are or sometimes we're not even aware of it, but there's these consequences. Again, it builds into this opposition to having things pointed out that we don't have right in our life. Last one I'll give you. For some of us, certainly not all of us, but for most of us in this room, we grew up in America. In America, we have rights. It's a culture that we've been indoctrinated into, right? And for some of us, the idea of somebody coming and pointing out things that we're doing wrong or faults or weaknesses, like, who are you to tell me what I'm doing wrong? What's right for you might not be right for me. And what's wrong for you might not be wrong for me. Who are you to tell me? It's almost like it's, a, it's an assault on our free will or the rights that we have. Again, 
in and of itself, maybe not that bad, but added to all the different experiences we've had, do you see that most of us stand in opposition? We want to seem like we have everything going on, like we've got everything in order. And this also happens. We compare ourselves to people all the time. And this is a deep conversation that we could go deep into, but just on the surface level, oftentimes we'll compare ourselves to people that are worse than us because it makes us feel better. We're involved in things that we know we shouldn't, but it's not as bad as those people, so I'm okay. This is what we do. We have an opposition to having people come and point out our weaknesses. Now, that's in the practical. But Jesus was very clear that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in John 16 is to bring conviction to us. And so this natural opposition also spills over into our spiritual lives, which is we don't even like the Holy Spirit to come and bring conviction to us. And here's what spiritual conviction is. I want you to catch this. The conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to you and I is the process by which he reveals to us absolute truth. Truth about who God is. Truth about how we were created. Truth about how we're supposed to be living our lives. The directions and and the things that we should be focusing on. And when the Holy Spirit reveals this truth to us, about how we were intended to live, about the sin that we're involved in, about the reality of the difference between sin and righteousness, our eyes are open to that truth. We glaringly see the areas of our lives that are out of sync, don't we? We glaringly see the paths that we're focused and moving and investing into things that have no return and no reward and and what the Bible would call earthly things, right? Not treasures in heaven, not purposes that God has given, but along with our culture, along with our neighbors, along with our family, the ways and the pursuits of our heart are not after the things of God. We're on the wrong trajectory. And again, where sin is present in our lives, that is the action of spiritual conviction, the difference between right and wrong. And on the macro scale, yes, what Jesus is saying is he will come to convict the world that there is sin and there is righteousness, that you and I are men and women in need of a savior. And if you've ever crossed that threshold of raising your hand in a service or praying a prayer somewhere along the line to say, Jesus, I need to surrender my life to you because I have sin, that is eternal death. I need the free gift that only you can provide for your sacrifice through your sacrifice on the cross. I don't know if you knew this, but that was the Holy Spirit working on you in that moment to bring that macro conviction. But did you also know that the Holy Spirit works every single day in our lives in March 2019 at Boeing at your workplace, at Microsoft, at the store you work at, the school that you're involved in, at home, in your neighborhood? He brings conviction to you and I. And he does it for this. I know the aversion is to say, I don't want that. I want to avoid that. I want to put together, man, my, man, my Facebook presence is strong. My Instagram presence, man, I got the picture of the perfect family and people think I, I got it going on. But the reality is, is that social media, we talk about it a lot. It's the same cause. It's the same uh, weed that's there. It's the same problem, from, uh, 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 a different problem from the same root issue. This same thing was going on far before social media or the internet or Al Gore ever came on the scene. (laughs) Right? Preachers used to preach, hey man, don't put on the mask when you come to church. Don't try to come like you got it all perfect and you're in your Sunday best and everything's going on, but your life is a mess and broken. Ever before social media, all, all social media did was highlight it and put it out there for all of us to see at every moment of every day of every second. It's the same issue at heart is that we want to seem like we have it going on. And yet the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction. And I want to admonish all of us. I want you to hear this. We should seek after and be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit as much as we seek after and are open to the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. 
I know we love the encouragement. It feels good. We'll take it from anybody and everybody who will give it to us. But we should seek after the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the same way. Do you want to know why? It's because it's for our good. When we ignore it, the only person you're hurting is yourself and probably your family and the close people around you. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is for our good. Its purpose is to show us sin. Some of us in this room, and I believe it with all my heart right now, you are involved in sin. We are involved in sin, and it's in the category that we don't even know. We aren't even aware of it. We're not even, but everybody does that. Well, everybody's on that pursuit. There are things that we're involved in that we are still gonna get in trouble for. We're still gonna have the repercussions and the consequences because the Bible's clear. We reap what we sow, but we're not aware of it. We need to be like David in Psalm 139. He says, search my heart, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting God, search my heart. If there's something there that I'm not aware of, show me why. Because just because we aren't aware of it, it's not intentional, doesn't mean that it's not sin and it does have an effect today and potentially eternally. It's to remind us why we should seek after the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us of the severity of our sin. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else who's worse. That doesn't mean you're good. Come on. Don't compare yourself to somebody else who's worse because just because they're worse doesn't mean that you're good. You still have sin. You're still gonna have consequences. You're still off the mark. You're still missing your purpose that God created for you. The reason we should seek the the conviction of the Holy Spirit, just like encouragement, is because it propels us towards our destiny. Remember, it reminds us of absolute truth, what God created, who we were created to be, and the gifts that you have. And some of us in this room right now, you think when you hear the Great Commission, somewhere along the lines, well, that's for pastors. That was just for the disciples in the first century and the apostles in the first century church. That mission is yours and mine today, all of us, and it cannot be accomplished without you. And you may think, man, Ryan, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. God can never use me. I want to say that is a lie from the pit of hell. He wants to use you right where you're at. He wants to use you. You have a gift. This is what the conviction of the Holy Spirit reminds us. My life is headed toward this because that's what the world tells me. I gotta have this much money. Gotta have this degree. I gotta do this stuff. I gotta have these toys. And he says, no, 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 here's the truth. Here's who you were created to be. Those things will never fulfill. Does that make sense? This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We should not avoid it. And then two questions should naturally come out and say, Ryan, okay. Ryan, uh, conviction of the Holy Spirit. I got a natural aversion to it. I don't want it. It doesn't feel good. But you know what? It's for my good. Uh, I want to do this. Can I pause for a moment and tell you as a pastor, I've been doing this for about 25 years in different capacities, and I've walked with individuals just like you through the storms of life that we just sang about this morning, the ones that rock you to your core. And I've walked with people, and it's true that sometimes life just happens. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes unfair things happen, and we deal with hardships that are not because of decisions we made. But did you know that most of the time, the things that we face is because we sowed something, and now we're reaping it? We made a decision somewhere along the line to do something, whether we were aware of it, and it was something we absolutely knew we shouldn't do, and we're still doing it, or we're naive to it, and we just didn't even know. And walking with people through that is so difficult. Now, I love it, and I say that with temperance because it's not fun, 
It's, but it's a part of the calling that we have as pastors to do. But when I walk with individuals through that, and when the realities, we trace it back to why, sometimes, most of the time, it's because of decisions that they made somewhere along the line that has brought brokenness to their life, brokenness to their family, brokenness to their friends around them. Because of the decisions that we make. And this is where the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in. So the question, two of them that come out is, okay, Ryan, conviction of the Holy Spirit, I want to seek after it. But how do I know it's him? How do I know the conviction is him? How do I recognize it? And number two, then what do we do with it? Those are great questions. I'm so glad you asked that this morning. I'm going to try and answer it for you. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, and I'm going to end with this. Just a few minutes, I want to explain this. It's simple in principle, so I'm not going to try to make it more than it is. The Holy Spirit can speak in many different ways to us to bring conviction to our lives. On one hand, he can use big, macro, crazy experiences where he can speak directly to you and you know it's him. I'm going to use an example. In Acts 9, we see that the, uh, the apostle Paul, before his conversion, his name was Saul. Now, Saul was a devout Jew trained in Jewish culture and heritage and law, which basically means the Israelites, the Jews, the people of God. And he was defending what he believed to be the truth against this uh, heresy movement, Jesus movement that was trying to come in and move against in an opposition. He thought what he was doing was the right thing by imprisoning Christians and by persecuting Christians and by killing Christians and executing them. He thought he was doing the right thing. And as he's on a mission to Damascus, a specific place en route, Jesus blinds him, speaks to him. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Why are you doing this? And his life changed forever. The Holy Spirit can work in ways as macro and big and crazy as that. The Holy Spirit can also speak through others. In services just like this, that happens all the time. A gospel message is preached. The Holy Spirit moves in conviction, and people raise their hands and say what we've already mentioned before. Yes, I'm a man or a woman in need of a Savior. I need you to come. I need that free gift of grace. He can work through individuals in one-on-one conversations with you and a family member or a coworker or a neighbor. These conversations happen, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction in car rides and conversations in restaurants. It can happen in the craziest of places, but he works through this conviction through other people. And here's the last one. You may not know this, but he works and brings conviction in speaking to you every day. You and I every single day, and a lot of times we think of it as our conscience. Remember, you and I were created in God's image. His spiritual DNA is inside of us. This basic understanding of what's right and wrong, we have it within us. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, but there are times that you and I sense that something, something just doesn't feel right about this. I don't really think I'm supposed to be doing this. We might not have the head knowledge fully that it's wrong, but there's this thing going on, and that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the question becomes, okay, Ryan, when I recognize the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then what do I do with it? I want to finish with this. I want to read this to you. It's Acts 19, 11 through 20. It says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. It's the apostle Paul we just mentioned. So that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those that were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. 
Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. which was like 50,000 silver pieces. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What do we do? What's our appropriate response when we recognize the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What we see here, it says that many who came to believe now openly confessed what they had done. And directly after that, it says sorcerers that were involved in things, when they saw that what they were doing didn't match up with the truth, it says they brought their livelihood, their scrolls, everything that was their life, and they burned them and they turned and went the other way. That's called repentance. Our appropriate response to conviction is confession and repentance. It's confession and repentance. And remember this, we should seek after the conviction of the Holy Spirit as much as we would seek after the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And our response to that is confession and repentance. Why? For your good, for your family's good, for your future, for what he has for you. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, it may be easy to say that we want to seek after your conviction of your spirit as much as we would encouragement. But God, living that out every single day is something different. We have a natural aversion to people pointing out, to even admitting that we have weaknesses and faults. We can justify, we can try to make excuses for it, but the reality is, is that if we're living in it, the nothing good is going to come out of those moments. We will still, whether it's situations of naivety and we don't know, or situations which we know what we're doing is wrong, we know it's not biblical, but we're still choosing to make that choice, would you bring conviction to us, to our hearts, because we don't want to have those repercussions. We don't want to have what comes from sin. God, we don't want to experience brokenness in our families and in our lives and mistrust. And ultimately, God, we want to be who you've called us to be. And for those that are here doubting that they are called, doubting that you could use them, doubting because of their past and what they've done, God, would you remind them, Holy Spirit, would you come and remind them of the truth that there is nothing that we have done, nothing that we can be a part of, that can separate us from your love, that it's available to all of us. And God, I pray, even for those right now, I sense that in their minds, they know some of these areas. It could be an addiction. It could be a living situation outside of what you've designed. It could be pursuit after things that are not of you. God, I believe that you're doing that right now in people's hearts, in their mind's eye. And as they do, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you remind us that conviction in you compels us to our future. It doesn't condemn us. We avoid the idea of having our faults pointed out because it feels like there will be condemnation. It feels like we will be beat down. We felt like you're just a judge in heaven in moments waiting to pounce on us because we've made mistakes. But condemnation is a currency that the devil deals in. You don't. You bring freedom when we confess. You bring power and you build us up and you bring encouragement when we come to you, when we confess what we have, when we repent and turn the other way. It's not condemnation. And if we feel it, it's not of you. It's from the enemy. 
And God, we thank you for that. I pray for each person this week that we would pray the prayer, Holy Spirit, as David prayed, search our hearts, find any way in us that is offensive that we could get rid of it because we want only you and what you want for us. We want to be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.